Our readings have had the book of James, and a few things have stood out to me as I've been processing it. Because of who I am, I I find things like this term double-minded is used twice in that book, but it's not used anywhere else. Uh, Or some translations have Psalm 119, one of the verses uh, using double-minded, but other translations don't use it at all. And uh, so I've been chewing on that, and there's, the applications are slightly different. We'll get into that. But uh, also, uh, James carries this idea that um, our human nature fights against what God wants, and there is this tension that uh, he likens it to spiritual adultery where there's a love of one, love of the other. And that, that doesn't work well in dating, doesn't work well in marriage, and it doesn't work well with our relationship with God. And, and so, um, you know, I, <laughs> when I was a freshman in college, I got a, a junior transfer as a, a roommate. And... Uh, he had just come back to the Lord, and he was used to playing the field, so to speak. And every week was drama with him. You know, he had a girlfriend at home, and, you know, within a month after leaving there, since their relationship had started dating numerous the physical, she was gone. He wasn't there. And then he started dating numerous gals at the school, and, you know, some he was playing, some were players too, and, and that wouldn't go well, and then he'd find a nice gal, and she'd go, I don't want to mess around with you running around, you know, and and it took him several years to get his act together, but it's just like, it did not work in that scene, and and you know numerous marriages where it doesn't work as well, and so when he likens our lives and the pursuits of our our sin nature, so to speak, in our flesh with spiritual adultery, there's it's something that ought to catch our attention at least. One of the conversations I had with a, one of our saints this week, who are associated with our church, she was going, God really began to stir my heart because I had let comfort take place over my relationship to him in that whenever I was tired... I felt like I had earned the right to sit down, enjoy a movie and a glass of wine, and just chill. But I really wasn't asking God what he wanted or what my you know, response to be. I was just, this was my default pattern. And she's going, you know, that, that really wasn't what God wanted for me. And I'm going, and Sharon and I were talking later regarding that conversation, going, Rarely have I associated comfort with sin. You know, but it was, a, it was in opposition to the Lord in that way. And so it's, it was challenging to me as I was walking through this particular thing. So what I'd like to do is um, just a couple verses in chapter 3 before we get into 4, because um, James is drawing a contrast between spiritual wisdom, and natural wisdom. And he's going, it's, it's common for us to get caught up in selfishness and jealousies 
and actually learn how to chase our own agenda uh, because of our own selfish ambition, our own jealousy, saying, I want that, I'm going to get it, and figuring a way to maneuver or shrewd our way into it. And he's going, but the fruit of that is kind of disruption and chaos around your life. That when you get caught up in those things, others are chasing that too, and there's this clashing going on. I want my way. No, I want my way. And as we grow up into adulthood, we don't, we don't do the same thing that the kids do, I want my way. We, it's much more subtle, but it's still there. And... James is going, that's not true wisdom from God. You want true wisdom from God, it's got a peaceable nature attached to it. And in fact, the investment of that particular wisdom is that it, it causes peace around you as well. And so one of the marks of our lives that if God's wisdom truly is flowing through us, there is a measure of peace about our lives and in our relationships. And so it's, it's really a, a, one of those wonderful wake-up opportunities of saying, how are my relationships going? Are they, are they chasing the jealousies and covetousness and the, the selfish ambition that, that uh, is natural to my life? Or am I really allowing God to intervene and take me in paths that yield peace? It's not saying that you give in in every situation, but you at least bring that before him and say, how should I respond in this situation? So he goes out of that in James chapter 3, and he's still not done with it when he gets into chapter 4. And he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? He says, you know, there's a, that tension that is being lived out in life. He goes so far as to say, you desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says that's the fruit of that kind of chase. He says you do not have because you do not ask. And here's, here's the next thing is a reason for unanswered prayer. He says, you ask, but you ask wrongly because you ask it for your own passions. So regularly, you know, we have to evaluate and say, is the reason that my prayer wasn't answered because I was chasing my own agenda? Or have I really captured the heart of the Lord in this? And so it's a challenge that, again, we look at and say, okay, what is my heart really saying in this? He goes, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So there's that declaration. He takes it into that adultery setting and says, you can't be a lover of God and a lover of yourself in, in the way that you naturally would. And there's that hard in us, it says, accept that I am changed by the Spirit of God and my life is regenerated in Him, 
I can't do this. You know, but there is this thing of just saying, you get to choose which lover you have, but you don't get to have both. You can, you can choose God or you can choose yourself, but you don't get both. Adultery with God is no more acceptable than adultery in this life. Galatians 5 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Keep on doing the things that you want to do. Genesis, this conflict came up even by the sixth chapter. So before Noah, uh, God looks at humanity and says, their every intent is evil all the time. First, he shortens their lifespan, and then he sees, and the scripture says, but Noah <laughs> found favor in the eyes. God chooses Noah to start over simply because here's a man who's living different than everyone else. So there's that challenge of just saying, if I choose just what comes naturally to me, and I do not have the Spirit of God guiding myself, I am going to choose wrong regularly. I'm going to make choices that are rooted in my human nature that just are inappropriate with who God is and what he desires in relationship with me. So he, he goes on, and, and James, he says, he gives more grace, <laughs> thankfully. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if we submit our lives to him, he is willing to transform us through his grace in a way that's impossible on our own. Then he goes into some specifics, and he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, if you recognize that there needs to be a transformation of a heart, and it can only come through God, he says, submit yourselves to him. This is a crucial link in our relationship to him. We bow the knee, so to speak, where we say, you have the right to decide what needs to be done. You have the right to speak into my life and say, this is the path I want you to walk in. Then he goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So he says, you are also in a spiritual battle that, that with an enemy that is opposed to what you would do in Christ. He doesn't like God and he doesn't like God's children anymore. And so he wants what's opposite of what God has. And the promise comes, if you will resist him, he will flee. And then he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Beautiful promise. So you say, okay, you know, we sang about the love of God all through our worship singing, right? But he wants love returned. And so as we call out to him, he says he will draw near to our lives as well. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, you know, he's, 
He's saying, if you're living in sin, then do different. Our hands represent all that we do. He's going, live different. It's got to change. And then he goes, you know, for the interior, and he says, you know, cleanse or purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so, again, if you're chasing the things that are of your nature and your selfishness, and you're also wanting God, he says, that double-mindedness just doesn't work. In the, in the first chapter, that when that term is used, it comes after the, the setting of when you're struggling through tests that uh, develop perseverance, that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says there's a value to, for the testing that you go through, but all of us know that tests are no fun, Right? Well, there's a few of in here that like them, but it, by and large, <laughs> testing is a miserable thing, but it reveals who we are and what we know and, and all of that. And, and so, in a sense, when we are tested in the Lord, there's this opportunity for us to grow out of that, to, to persevere and actually attain a measure of maturity that wasn't ours before that test. But he says, if you're lacking wisdom and you're trying to figure out why is this going on, he he goes, you know, don't be like a wave tossed back and forth by the wind. You know, for, don't have, you know, you've got to exert faith in this and not doubt, otherwise you're double-minded in it. God will show me, oh, I don't know if he'll show me. God is, I feel like God's told me to do this. Oh, I don't know. I'm sharing with this, you know, um, this time of year, a lot of guys are, are patterning deer, right? Somehow I had to get to hunting. Illustration. Amen. Thank you. A few hunters in here. One of the first things you learn is that when you're pattering a deer, you don't walk on the deer's tracks. You get off to the side because you want to go back and see if you missed it at some point or you're, you want to know where that trail goes. And so you can walk alongside, but as soon as you step in that track and you muddy it up and you go back to say, where, where, did, it, where did I lose track of this? <laughs> it's gone. And you don't recover it. So in the same way, it's like, when you ask of the Lord and, and you feel like you have an answer and then you turn around and you're going back, pretty soon you have no clue. And it, it, all it does is yield confusion. At some point in the Lord, when, he, when you have that sense, this is what I need to do, you need to step forward in faith. And you need to embrace that that what he has is available to you. Now, there are times when I feel like I heard from God and, and at the end of the, that track, it's like, whoops, guess not. But I learn off of those experiences as well. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is set a course, 
walk it. God is not going to be offended if you get it wrong now and then. He knows full well what you're going to do. He's not surprised by any failed tests, so to speak. We are, but he's not. So he's, he's already prepared for us even in that to pick us up and get us going again. I mean, that's, that is the story of our salvation. He created us with this spirit that tends to wander, but he also created, this, he created our salvation long before it was needed. When you, when you talk about Christ, and you know, this is always, as a kid, it's like, wait a minute, Jesus was born this time, but he also existed before the, the creation of the world? Yep. And this plan was in place even before? Yep. Well, I don't understand that. Well, I still don't fully understand it, but I trust it. He can do what he wants. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by our birth circumstances. But he sent the son that he loved for a people that he loved so that they might have relationship with him and have their sins forgiven. And so when we look at that, we say, he is prepared for us in whatever circumstance we land in. He goes on in James 4. It says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I thought you told us there was grace. No. There is a time to deeply regret the sin that you're involved in. There's an appropriate time to say, This was vile and wrong and I want no more part of it. There's, it's appropriate to feel the weight of that so that we can truly discover how joyous the release is. This, out of 2 Corinthians, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So he says, when sorrow for our sin is upon us and we repent of that, there's opportunity for us to step into a cleansing that isn't, isn't measured by the regret anymore. It's not, that's not the mark of our salvation. What a, what a privilege even to let past experiences go. There have been times when different ones have come in here and when they come to terms with what Christ is calling and asking for their lives, I've watched different ones will spend months crying every time they get here. And after a while, you're going, what's going on? Well, in some ways, it's an appropriate season where God is just bringing healing. And as these different experiences of the past come up, they were profane and destructive and destroying as he heals that, there's an appropriateness of just weeping over what took place, but also knowing I am set free, and I don't have to carry this anymore. And he will bring 
different things to mind so that we can truly enter into this whole. Some of you will admit that if you were pretty promiscuous before you got married, that marriage, stepping into it, wasn't just simple. You got used to the chase. You learned how to do it well. But then when you got married, you had to shut it down. And that, wasn't, that didn't necessarily happen overnight, even though you were committing to this person. Or there are memories from your past that come up and they haunt you in the relationship that you have. And you're going, I wish I could just forget all that, but I can't. I can't let that go right now. Only in the Lord does that healing come. But also, it is the thing of saying, my human nature is such that it's like I've tried to live with God and I've tried to live by myself. And now that I'm trying to really live for him consistently, I'm still going to have to look at some of those things and weep over it and release it in him. But that's available to us. What a privilege that is. It's a, it takes courage even to let ourselves go back and say, God, you pull out any memories that I have that you want to and let's process them together. Because it, it, it insists that we go back and look at the horror of what our life included and what we stepped into willingly. And yet, only does full healing come as we're willing to look at that and allow God to speak life into us as a result of even that experience. He can transform that if we'll let him. He can take what was evil and vile and use it for good. It's not that he wanted us to go down that path, but he has provided the healing for us necessary to even use that for strength. What a wonderful thing it is in the Lord. One final verse. He, he turns it then and he says, don't speak evil against anyone. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother. He's saying, you're used to living with selfish desires that pick and jab and punch and hurt and wound. He says, don't live like that anymore. In fact, don't speak evil about others. That's, that's not the mark of God on you. So what an awesome passage we have. Huh? Thank the Lord for the writings of James. Let's, let's take this time of worship just to say, God, I do love you. And uh, I commit again to faithfulness unto you in all things. Amen. If you've never made the declaration of love to God, that needs to happen. And we would love to pray with you you in that. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable coming up front, I'd encourage you to find someone you trust and ask them to walk that through with you. If you've been walking in the Lord, but you're saying, there are some areas where I definitely have been double-minded and I need to straighten this out again, it's a time to 
straighten that out in the Lord, but it might be that someone else could help you in that and, and walking through what it's going to take to change. Okay? So I want to pray for God's blessing on you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to be loved by you and to love you. I ask as each one goes out into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We do love you in this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.